uh, when looking at these actors and everything about them, uh, there's a big difference in John Reese Davies and Jonathan Reese Myers. Uh, not the same person. <laughs> you dumbass. <laughs> Absolutely not the same person. You I was idiots. like, Jonathan Reese Myers wow. wasn't in this For the movie. second episode in a row with. <laughs> Halle Berry and Halle Bailey. Yeah, yeah. It's just like Warren's the one that messes up the names. Come on, you got. I know. I'm, I miss it pronouncing them, but I know who I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the Replay Value Podcast, where we deep dive into the movies we all love to watch over and over again. I'm Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren. What's up, bro? In this episode, we're going to talk about the action-adventure classic, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. After the events of Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones sets out to rescue his father, who has vanished while looking for the Holy Grail. Following his clues in his dad's notebook, Indy arrives in Venice, but soon discovers they aren't the only ones searching for the Grail when he finds himself once again facing off against the Nazis. <laughs> uh, nothing that I love better than Indiana Jones kicking some Nazi ass. Uh, Last Crusade for me, I would say, is the first... Indiana Jones film that I saw as a child. Um, I, you know, they were, they'd already been released when I started watching them. So I, I saw them out of order, you know, these ones on TV or whatever. And you just, you don't really understand the, the, the history and the trail. You just, you catch it. And it just, this one just completely got my attention. It, it was one that I just would latched onto the moment that I saw for the first time. So it's always holds a special place in my heart as being my introduction to Indiana Jones. Your first Indiana Jones film. That, well, th- this, that's You saw this before Raiders. That's, that's interesting. I did. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. This movie, what a delight. Uh, uh, I mean, just, just what movies are all about, man. I mean, it's got it all action, romance, drama, comedy. I mean, yeah. how many times do you think you've seen it? Oh, I mean, easily I've seen this more than any any other Indiana Jones film. But well, I would say maybe Kingdom of the Crystal School is barely edging it out. <laughs> Shut up. <coughs> no, uh, uh, last blasphemous. crusade. I mean, I, that's not even canon to me. Uh, somehow, yeah, um, yeah. I I watched it all the time as a kid. It's probably one of the ten movies I've seen the most. Yeah, I, easily. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say Raiders gets the accolades of saying a lot of people say that's the best one, but I've but because I've seen this one the most, I'm just like, why do I get drawn to to this one more than the others? Is it, you know, you, of course you you have the. The, the the dynamic duo to a degree of getting Jones, you know, Indiana meeting Dr. Jones's dad. Um, also, I think the subject matter of what they're chasing to me, it's the grail. Like that is what, atta- that's what attracted me at an early age was just cha- 
that them on the hunt for the grail that was just a cool concept for me the mystique the 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 yes. lore the intrigue of the grail you don't know a lot about it and the film does a really good job of like building up to it like when he sees the painting on the wall of the guy walking for the leap of faith and the great music kick in that really adds to it and the scale and yeah i i, I think the grail uh, kind of got Indy back to its roots, you know, with Raiders, mm-hmm. it was the Ten Commandments, so it's kind of getting it back uh, to familiar ground, looking for religious artifact, and kicking Nazi ass. Yeah, the intrigue of the Grail, and even whether it be from King Arthur or whatever, like which I was also very into as a child, like that 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 intrigue was was uh, had always hooked me. Yeah, the Grail, and, and then it's also you know I, I think the action and the humor, I mean, really contribute to the replay value. There are six types of chases in this movie: hmm. on foot, uh, yeah. by train, boat, on motorcycle, by plane, and by car. Yeah. That's it's just point. a tightly constructed action film that's well paced. Yeah, it flies by. I mean, you're always just saying, "What's going to happen next?" The next set piece. It's always changing, always moving. There's not any fat. If even there's not any fat on it. Like every scene works. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the direct sequel to Raiders. Uh, Temple of Doom was a prequel. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So this yeah. is uh, you know, uh, uh, like I said, two years after Raiders. It feels longer though. Like if you watch those films back to back, it doesn't necessarily feel like. Well, the, that, narratively, that it takes place two years after Raiders, right, uh, yeah. but uh, you know, uh, you're playing with the timeline a little yeah, bit. Who yeah, cares? Well, eight, eight year gap between Raiders. Yeah, eight, um, you're right. Eighty one and eighty nine. Yeah. All right. Well, let's back it up a little bit though. Uh, who made the film? How did it get made? Above the Line, written by Jeffrey Bohm. He has the screenplay credit, along with George Lucas and Minno Menaeus. Uh, I hope probably didn't say that right, knowing me, uh, who were credited with the story. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Bohm, I want to call out. He, uh, uh, you know, this film came out in 89. Another film that he did the screenplay for that came out in 89 was Lethal Weapon 2. Oh, shit. Which also, yeah, which also uh, went through uh, several ups and downs as far as the story and and permutations, uh, as often the case in, in Hollywood. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, just thought, thought it was kind of cool. He, he had quite the year in, uh, in 89. Yeah. Career year, most likely, um, produced by Robert Watts, a uh, star Wars producer. Hey, there you go, Phil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, well, I mean, with Lucas tied in, there's going to be in the Lucas film being the production company. Yeah. It's, you're going to have those bringing some people from the, getting the band uh-huh. back together. Yeah. And, uh-huh. uh, directed by, of course, Three-time Oscar winner Steven Spielberg, his 11th feature film. And this is number six of the Spielberg films we have done in 91 episodes. Oh, wow. The most films by any one director we have covered uh, so far. I think the closest has got like four. So there's not even another director with five yet. <laughs> We've yeah, got six uh, now Spielberg. I know, I, now, I know, the, of course, the collaborator in, uh, in, in this film and as well as the other Indiana Jones films is these are always looked at as, yes, Spielberg directed, but... You know, this is something that him and George Lucas did together. And of course, we've done you know, two Star Wars films, too. Um, so take that in consideration. So with when you're talking about replay value, any podcast that has a love of film is going to have Steven Spielberg uh, highly present in it. Um, so that being At least said, if you're doing it right. Yeah, exactly. So you said we've done six. So I will cha- go through his filmography and I will challenge you and anyone out there. Warren, what is your top five Steven Spielberg films? All right, so we're doing we're a personal five favorite, right? Because I mean, ranking per- the top personal. five Spielberg, what are we going to do? It's not we're not going to rank his greatest. Yeah, these this is a personal. Yeah, this is personal. personal okay, top five. really, we really had to qualify that before listing these. A lot of pressure. Sure. Uh, number five, Jurassic Park. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Go on. Number four, E.T. Okay. Number three, Last Crusade. Okay. All right. All right. Number two, Saving Private Ryan. And number one, I got to go Jaws. Wow. We lived in Florida. We like went to the beach. That movie had an impact on us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Wow. Okay. Um, Any honorable mentions that almost made the cut were just outside the top Oh, yeah. I mean, Schindler's List is obviously his greatest film. But like I said, we're doing personal favorites. And and I personally prefer Crusade over Raiders. That's why Raiders doesn't get a mention. Okay. All right. Uh, right. Catch Uh, Me If You Can, another great. Oh, man. I mean, there's so many fucking good ones. I love Catch Me If You Can. 2002, I loved Spielberg 2002. Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, Minority Report, another good one. Yeah. Um, So that that was. um, uh, And we'll be getting to those, by the way. Those have a high replay value. Now that we've done some of the heavier Spielberg films, we can go, we can get further down the the filmography. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I'm going to go and tell you the next Spielberg film we're doing. Uh, and uh, I mean, you may not know this yet, uh, but we're going to do it as our next Spielberg film because it's my number five uh, on here on my list. And that is Hook. Hook, man. Come really? On. I don't can't, I can't believe you didn't give that a mention. I know it didn't get a lot of critical acclaim, but when you talk about personal replay uh, movie, I, I, I love Hook. I've seen that a lot. That, that's, that's a fun movie. Okay. Um, number four, uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, number three, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. With two number, indies? Yeah, yeah. I love indie, man. I love indie. Uh, number two, Saving Private Ryan, which you had as your number two as well. Number one, Jurassic Park. That that. To well, me, how do you that, not? How do you not have Jaws on the list? Jaws and ET are honorable mentions for me. <laughs> honorable Jaws is an honorable. Well, okay. Well, I mean, when you, well, I, I'm looking at, I, I also had the to Godfather like, of blockbusters. The, the yeah, the, I, I oh, mean, movie. I, I so, try to consider. So yeah, I mean, I, I try to take into consideration ones I've personally seen the most too, and I and I, I would say if you if I could have like a play counter of all the movies uh, that I've ever seen and how many times I've seen each one, which would that would be awesome to have. Uh, I would say with the Spielberg films, that would probably be pretty close to the. The quantity by order. Yeah, I mean, but he's, he's somewhere between twenty five and thirty films he's directed. So yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, too, too many great good ones to mention. I mean, again, we're going with personal favorites. Uh, get back to the movie, a uh, state of the franchise following the Temple of Doom disappointment. They set out to invoke the this film, the third in the Indiana Jones film, with the tone and spirit of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, bringing back the humor and kind of getting back to the the, the what made Indiana Jones uh, so popular and what made the first movie so great. Yeah, Temple of Doom is pretty dark, and I feel like I've re- read in some interviews where pretty Lucas, terrible. Well, it, it not. For for when you compare it to the other two, you know it it has a special place for me still. But you know, if I'm gonna yeah. order, if I'm gonna rank the Jones films, it's number three, right ahead of uh, Kingdom of the Crystal School. So I get it; it's different. But you, in some ways, I respect it because if you would have just gone out and let's say, oh, let's try to tonally recapture what we did for Raiders, you may not have even gotten a. Uh, Last Crusade. So you have to appreciate it for what it is, and it may be the redheaded stepchild of the the Jones 
original trilogy. Uh, but to me, I think it is it is it has an important spot in it. Well, they they went dark in the second film, uh, even though it was a prequel, because George Lucas said, you know, they went dark with Empire, so they wanted to go. That was kind of the route they followed that tried to emulate the success that Star Wars had. But uh, and getting back to this picture, though, uh, you know, they went to invoke the tone and spirit of Raiders, but I felt like they caught a whole like it was true to that, but I felt like it was lighter and more fun than Raiders. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It even has a lighter uh, tone uh, than Raiders had. Yeah. It's like the, I don't know, the, the Nazis. It's just like they almost have like a, not a comical quality to them, but just like, you know, it's like, you know, they're going to win. You know, it's just like they're able to walk into the lion's den and, you know, with the, with a lot of the things and get away with a haunted mansion movie. And again, we talk about scale. How badass is it then when he's using his bull whip whipping across windows in the castle? I mean, that's fucking badass. Yeah, it is really cool. Yeah. They're, it's like they learned from what they did in Raiders and just again, polished it up for this. Yeah. Like if you, if you've ever seen, if you've ever played a video game, you know, let, let, like, you know, you, the first entry is just like, it's good, but then they take that concept and refine it and it make it better and more enjoyable. That's kind of like for me, you know, Raiders, the, the tone and the spirit and the comedy of it is what they did with, with Last Crusade. And, uh, you know, I, you heard me mention Haunted Mansion. Well, that's because Lucas proposed a Haunted Mansion movie when they first started doing the writing the the, the script for the 30 Indiana Jones film. Uh, it, Spielberg didn't want to do that because it was too similar to Poltergeist, uh, which, you know, he didn't sure. want to. Spielberg doesn't look to, to duplicate himself. That's one thing you got to love about him. Even when he does a sequel, he wants to do it different. Uh, Lucas completed an eight page outline. Uh, titled, uh, and you love these type of titles. Uh, you're always bringing up the alternate titles on these episodes. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Monkey King. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, and I, I did, there's quite the history of uh, different writers, reworks, drafts that came in. So, yes, it started off, and that outline I think Lucas did was in 1984 or 1985. You know, uh, it's ridiculous. It it's has absurd. him battling ghosts in Scotland and then yeah. finding the fountain of youth in Africa. But the prologue actually is where the, the Holy Grail uh, as like the artifact was introduced, but it was just kind of like an early on of the movie thing. And then they they, they chase the, the fountain of youth. Um, so there was that element that Lucas created to say, OK, what about the Holy Grail? And then, you know. Spielberg didn't really like that, so they wanted to go in a different direction. But it, it always seemed like they wanted to chase something of immortality. That was the consistent theme. At one time, Spielberg uh, brought in Chris Columbus. You know, of course, the most famously the director of uh, Home Alone, but many, many others. Mm, yeah. At the time in '85, he hadn't directed anything yet. He'd worked on the stories for Goonies and Gremlin, uh, Gremlins with Spielberg. So even he came in and worked on a draft, and they were like. It involved uh, like the, uh, the Garden of Immortal Peaches, which is a thing from Chinese mythology. Uh, and then uh, w one thing I thought was funny is in the second draft of Chris Columbus, that was scrapped and uh, it went back to more of the Monkey King route. Uh, but there was one scene where the, 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 the chief of the tribe or whatever had Indiana and another character playing chess with real people. <laughs> Uh, which, funny enough, if you remember the first Harry Potter film, there is a scene that is from the book where they play wizard's chess, but it's like life size and they have to, Harry, Ron, and Hermione have to So assume. he recycled that idea. No, but that. He, the thing is, he didn't recycle it. He wrote that in 85, but you have to think that that scene is in the it's book that J.K. Rowling wrote. Oh, okay. It, so it's just a coincidence that he wrote that in a draft, you know, 15 years before he would work on 
uh, a property that used a similar kind of live action chess scene. So, uh, but yeah, but then Jeffrey Bohm, who we mentioned earlier, was eventually brought on and reworked to the script that we uh, that we know now. They brought in the dad and the grail and kind of finalized that. Uh, and Tom Stoppard uh, did final rewrites yeah. and some mostly dialogue polishing. Uh, he fixed up a lot of the dialogue. Yeah. So yeah, it went through a lot of permutations. Uh, it seemed like Lucas and Spielberg they knew what they were they were going for. It's like they'd learned a lot from the franchise. And let let's say this is the third film. We're gonna we're gonna get it right. We know what we want. Well, I think they had a little more money this time around because uh, when they started shooting in 1988, they shot in Spain, Germany, the UK, Italy, Jordan, and the United States, both in Colorado and Texas. So the shoot was everywhere, and they did it in a 63-day shoot for the main unit. Wow. So Spielberg at this point, an efficient filmmaker, uh, we, we, even with Raiders, we talked about how efficient he was compared to Jaws. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I, think, <laughs> I think he shot Raiders in like 61 days. So he shot this in 63. So uh, just coming in on schedule, under budget, but definitely had more money this time around. The most intriguing location, okay, and when talking about the production, has got to be the treasure uh, in Petra Jordan, mm-hmm. uh, it's dubbed to be in a different country in this film. Uh, I'm not uh, sure it's Alexandretta, I think is what they say is outside of a city, but yeah. But I feel like that location adds to the lore of the story and to the grail. It's like the perfect location to put the grail into. Yeah. I mean, cause you, 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 I just remember, is that a real plan? It is. And then you're like, holy shit. Yeah, you and, have that uh, I, I, elaborate facade built into the side of a, a mountain cliff. And you're just like, wow. It really gets your imagination you're like, going you're like, oh, in concert yes, with a movie. There, yeah. Some sort of special artifact would be in something like that. Like your imagination sure. runs wild with it. Yeah. And you get older and you're like, well, if something was there, it's long it's gone. It's long gone now. <laughs> it's all tourists. And yeah, exactly. Picture. Yeah. Well, unless there's the three challenges that await you. <laughs> the three trials. Yeah. Speaking of the three trials and the effects of the film, I mean, there was a lot of, you talk about all the locations they use, but for all those different types of uh, chases and uh, the action set pieces and the trials, I mean, there wasn't just one flat method they used for the special effects. I mean, this is, you you talk about a challenging shoot uh, with some of these things. I mean, they used, of course, it's the late 80s, a lot of practical effects with miniature models. But they were also introducing uh, blue screen with puppetry, like in the third Grail trial, whenever he's on the invisible bridge. You know, they just used like a matte painting and had Harrison Ford just stand in front of a blue screen and then use like a puppet to kind of uh, overlay him in there. So yeah, I'm, 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 of course, simplifying that. But they ran yeah, the Yeah, that's gamut. the uh, shot does. I mean, you, I, it almost feels like it was in, he wanted you to see it being a land bridge. Because it, it's the shot starts off before it rotates the camera where it, the bridge is blended into the wall. Yeah. And then once the camera turns, he it's like Spielberg wanted you to see that. I really love, uh, we should have Spielberg on. I'd love to hear his intention uh, on that shot, what, that he was okay with showing that. Um, well, I think it was the design it, of forced perspective. And I think, uh, you know, it wasn't meant to be magical i think it's just when the if like a person were actually being out there they would look and to see they would look and see oh this is just nothing i thought that too but then when he gets on top when he finally gets to the other side he picks up dirt that, that's and the way true. Th- yeah. the way he throws the dirt makes it seem magical but then, but then when he's standing next to it, you see it again, and it's like legitimately a a, a rock, bridge. a fucking land rock bridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because so. how else would those dumbasses have gotten across it? The fucking yeah, if they didn't know. Yeah. So I yeah. don't know. So yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those suspension of disbelief things where it's like 
it's not enough to take you out of the film, but yeah, I didn't take you out. No, but when you've seen it so many times, you're like, huh? What? Eh." You know, but anyway, um, but of course I want to call out the use of the rats, uh, as far as an effect, those were real rats. There is a company that provided 1000 disease free rats that were eventually bred up to 5,000 rats that, um, Allison duty and Harrison Ford had to get in there and be around. And I'm just going to say, I'm I'm good. No thanks. Uh, I'm kind of uh, in the, there's a pay bump for that. I'm, I'm yeah. yeah. I'm in the Joan Doctor jo- uh, Henry Jones Senior side of us. It's like uh, no, no. I don't I don't want to mess with the rats. So anyway, I mean that makes sense. If you're gonna do it, you got to breed them because you you obviously have to get them disease free. You don't want to run health issues. You, yeah. you can't like go to a pet store and let me buy some rats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, there's a yeah. I guess a company that's 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 what they do. And then lastly on effects, I have to call out Ben Burt, uh, who is the uh, sound designer for Star Wars. Uh, we talked about, created the a lot of the sounds that you know and love from Star Wars, like the lightsaber, among among many others. He also worked on, on this uh, film and um, uh, created sound in such a way to take advantage of how they shot it, which was in 70 millimeter full field sound format. Was just a it's just a fancy way of saying not only would the sound go from left to right uh, in the film, but also from front to back. Uh, so, like for instance, whenever uh, Sean Connery's Doctor Jones gets shot, the way that it's echoed, it goes. It's like it's all, they they shot it in a tunnel in an underground car park at Skywalker Ranch to achieve that sound. So when you see it, if you have like a full surround sound, you can actually hear the gunshot go from from front to back, which was. At the time, pretty pretty revolutionary, and, and and you know I gotta mention it, the music of Indiana Jones, none yeah. other than the maestro John Williams. I mean, to be fair, a lot of the themes of what you hear are somewhat recycled from the previous Indiana Jones films. But I mean, let's talk about the theme, man. That's one of the greatest theme songs of all time. Um, you know, and and I watched a little. Uh, featurette where John Williams they, they talk about the music of Indiana Jones and he says that he loves working with Spielberg and Lucas so much because he, he's able to create a theme like this and build this motif that he can center the film around center a character around because a lot of soundtracks are just like they're just like ambient or background or, or, or service the scene but Spielberg and Lucas they lean into and embrace the theatricality of what music can do in film. And they allow a great composer like John Williams to create a great theme, which Indiana Jones, one of my favorites out there. Yeah, you know, there may be some, of course, some of the musical motifs are recycled, but I feel like it's like a Zimmer with Dark Knight trilogy. He does evolve the songs yeah, oh, or for change sure. the music. Mm-hmm. So I think Williams very much does that here uh, to show Indy at a, you know, a, at a later state in different sequences. So the music, uh, while it is familiar, it is different. And that's a good point because one of the examples of that is the, 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 the I, I don't, it's the Nazi theme, though, you know, that, that, um, bump, 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 bump. You know, it's That's just like great. it's great, but it's 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 a different version than what was played in the previous films. It's more, it's like I don't know, darker, more ominous. It's like it, it captures that recognizably Man, evil. I just, you know, yeah. 
I just think every part of this movie is just so, they just nailed it. It's just the music, like everything is just so well packaged in this film. It's just, uh, everyone's operating at top capacity. Spielberg's just a better director. This, you know, he's been doing it longer. Yeah. Uh, he's about to have a hell of a run in the 90s. Uh, you know, Williams has been terrific for so long. You got, everybody's at the top of their game in this movie. And uh, I think that, that could be said with the music too. Yeah, I mean, a great film, uh, the iconic look of Indiana, but when you talk about what truly elevates a film, it's memorable music. And you got John Williams at the helm. And we'll move on to the stars of the picture. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. One Oscar winner, three Oscar nominees, starring Harrison Ford, Sean Connery, Allison Doody, Denholm Elliott, John Reese davies Julian Glover, River Phoenix, and Pat Roach. He's the only actor yes. other than Harrison Ford to appear in all three Indiana Jones films, the original trilogy in the 80s. Uh, Played play Gestapo <laughs> in The Last Crusade, played the chief guard in Temple of Doom, yeah. and he played two roles in Raiders, uh, the giant Sherpa and a, a, a mechanic. Yeah, the Luftwaffe mechanic, the big muscle guy that gets killed by the propeller what he's probably most remembered for right but here's the funny thing uh when he, the chief guard he played in temple of doom his scarf or whatever gets caught in a rock crusher and he gets killed that way and uh it's a minor role in glass crusade he like walks up with vogel uh it's just kind of a small he's like an escort gestapo uh but there was a scene that it was either filmed that got cut or just got cut from the script there was going to be a scene where he fought Indy in the Zeppelin or, or near, nearabouts or around there where he actually gets in a fist fight and most likely would have perished again. So he almost had the opportunity to get killed by Indiana through probably because they didn't want to repeat it, repeat it. So. No, I, I mean, but I thought it would have been, that would have been pretty cool, but yeah. Well, the giant Sherpa is the one he shoots when he's sick, right? Uh, yeah. So yeah, he was killed twice. So, that's iconic too. It is. But I always think about the, the, me- the mechanic, you know, that one's, yeah, I think. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah the, probably the most, but still, yeah. that Sherpa one's right there. So technically, uh, he has been uh, killed three times in three Indiana Jones films. Yeah. Pr- pretty pretty great on the resume. Uh, one of a kind there. Uh, it's almost like when I say Bill Paxton was uh, only actor to be killed by an alien predator and a Terminator <laughs> on screen. Yeah. I mean, Pat Roach has got a special distinction to be in all three different Indiana Jones movies playing four different parts. Yeah. Um, and of course, Michael Byrne as Vogel, the main Nazi uh, bad guy, the main Nazi heavy. Uh, he plays a bad guy in Braveheart, uh, mm-hmm. so it's like he's he's a great character. He's got like 170 plus credits, and he's still working today. So oh, wow. uh, going strong. He is like the only I would say bad guy. He, like it's like he comes off the, the 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 page, and it seems like the way that character is. I mean, it's very animated, almost like a comical evil. Uh, to him, so uh, he 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 plays it very well. But yeah, you don't, you get don't that have with... any sympathy for him when no, he's going no, off the cliff guy. in the tank. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> no, he awful. Like, but I, I did I did actually read that uh, since we're talking about him. A what if for that Julian Glover actually auditioned for the Vogel role. They're like, uh, uh-uh, uh, you're 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 not not the right fit for. They were clearly going for a different tone. That look, uh, he's a fine he he's a fine actor, but I I yeah I I didn't even like him as uh, as Donovan. I mean, I, I like he's okay as Donovan. I mean, no, he's okay. That's a, that's a, he's okay. But in an Indiana Jones film, he's he's basically one of the main heavies, right? Uh, no, you you need I need a little more something. Well, he wasn't quite sinister enough, you know. It's just like I I felt like he, he had just, he felt too disassociated to mm. me. 
uh, yeah, what what are his real motives? Is it working with the Nazis? Is it the Grail? Like, what what is it? So, um, call out for him though. He did play General Veers in Empire Strikes Back. So yet another yeah recycled. Well, um, that's where that disassociated style works for to play a character like that. But yes, here you yeah. need something a little deeper. And, and I don't, he didn't access that for whatever reason for this role. Yeah, I mean, the General Veers is a side character. I mean, you're the main antagonist is Walter Donovan. So. Uh, Ford and Connery did a scene pantless. Uh, they were in a hot studio and they pulled a fucking Ace Rothstein from Casino, man. You know, working without the pants in the office, you know, just hanging out in their boxers. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. and I, So what it was is they had, uh, it was just incredibly hot and they, I think they had like a, a ventilation system that, yeah, that it, was playing. Yeah, it just didn't work very well or it shut down or broke or something like that. So you, you never know. Uh, but it must have been pretty bad to say, you know what? Let's just, just take off the pants. Well, I, Connery that. sweated a lot, and that's what he said. So I think Ford did it to, you know. Interesting. It kinda, yeah, it, because he did it, just to make him more comfortable for whatever reason. Okay. Um, the biggest benefactor, who do you think uh, gained the most from this film? Um, That's a great question. Uh, I mean, you can't really say Ford or Connery. They're already very well established. Um, I'd almost say... I'm going to say River Phoenix would say, I would say gained the most from this film. I mean, he was in the film just enough to be like, oh, that's awesome, young indie. A lot of people wouldn't hadn't been introduced to him uh, at that point. So for me, that's that would be the clear the clear front runner. Yeah, man, I, that sucks. We didn't get didn't get to see more of his work. We just lost him way too early. Um, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Ford and Connery both were huge stars already. It's interesting you went with Phoenix. I think Connery really benefited because, you know, he's on the back nine and that kind of gave his career a little bit more lifeblood for like the next, what, five or six years before he started doing, you know, like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and shit. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> that's like, fair to me. Like I would he, say he, what, Hunt for Red October after this, you mm-hmm. know, you got The Rock. Uh, I, I, you know, Ford was as big as you could be. Connery had been, but I think, you know, that's at a time when, uh, Hollywood was even more traditional and actress had a hard time working past a certain age. And I felt like Connery kind of established himself as an older actor playing different types of characters and was able to have us. He was a legit movie star in the fucking early nineties, dude, like rising sun. Like they, mm-hmm. he was on the, he was leading films. Yeah. I, 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 that's what I'm saying. I feel like he, I don't think he got those opportunities exclusively from. No, no. I just think this added fuel to the fire is what I'm saying. I think if, you know, he didn't need this movie. It just, he, I think it benefited him more than Ford. Mm. Oh, because they are the two biggest stars, uh, you know, uh, already, but, Connery to come into this, and this was a fucking career year for Connery. 89, he won the uh, Oscar this year for Best Supporting Actor in Untouchables. Right, so like, I mean, how can you say that he was the biggest benefactor for that? I mean, if anything... I just, that's what I'm saying. I just think it was such a great... How can you not think he was... It's it's a career year for Connery. It all came together for him. It's it's like it's like uh, Spielberg in 93. He had the Oscar film, and he had the blockbuster. Well, Connery mm-hmm. had the Oscar win, and he had the blockbuster with this. I mean, that, that it just... Okay. I mean, Look at Nicholas Cage was after he won the Oscar. He started doing like Con Air and The Rock. Uh, you know, look with Sean Connery there, bringing a full yeah, circle. <laughs> sure. So, so I mean, is would you say he's your MVP of this film? Oh, absolutely. Sean Connery as wow. Professor Henry Jones is my wow. MVP. Who better to play Indiana Jones' dad than fucking James Bond, the OG, the best? 
Uh, and the last time he played James Bond was in 1983. So fucking like five, six years before this, he was James Bond. Well, that was like a non-canon Bond, though, film. That never Say Never Again. Uh, yeah, Never Say Never Again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the father-son relationship not only works, but it elevates the film. Uh, that, I think it gives it an emotional depth that the other two Indiana Jones film films lack. Uh, yeah. And, and it took the franchise to new heights. Uh, Spielberg is a master filmmaker at this point. You know, Connery's still firing. Ford's coming off the 80s run. Uh, but, you know, Connery is is operating it, 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 like an elder statesman here at the peak of his power. He shines brightest in this picture. A lot of the most memorable, funny scenes or even are with him. I mean, he, he, he steals moments in this movie. Uh, I, the charisma, the charm. Womack! You got to go yeah. with Connery. Okay, uh, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you there. Just like you know, Indiana Jones film, you know, go, go go with Indy as MVP. But no, I know you, you're absolutely correct. I mean, there, it, it he his presence elevates this beyond yep. what you've seen from the other. It brings out a different side of Indiana because in the, in the other films, nothing against Harrison Ford, but the way that the character is is like okay, this is a guy that's in you know an action situation or you know a kind of a. I'm going to take a have a catchy line of dialogue or two against the villain or I'm in a romantic situation. But as far as like he's an action hero and having the dad there, having Sean Connery play off of that, it, it, it gives a more personable side uh, to Indiana Jones and, and, and that family as mm-hmm. a whole. So that that can't happen without Connery. So I like that. He was he the, the most perfect casting uh, and one of the most difficult to recast later in the episode. Well, I mean, and, and that's, yeah, and, and that was part of the reason he got brought on was because, you know, the character of Indiana Jones is like, that was Spielberg and Lucas's answer to that. Hey, we're going to make our version of James Bond. And what better person to play your version of James Bond's dad than what many people would consider the best person to have ever played James Bond. Mm. Um so and he didn't want to do it at first. Um, they had looked at Gregory Peck as an alternative, none other than you know Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, among many other credits. Um, so because he thought he was going to be coming on uh, the way that Jeffrey Bohm wrote him uh, in the film as this this kind of crotchety old you know has been that really yeah connery was very uh, insistent on that not being the case the way he played it i mean even look at the he improv the whole elsa thing that he slept with that character that wasn't in the script he came up with that and you got to think that's part of the actor ego that hey i'm got to be on equal footing with harrison ford or indiana jones yeah i think it was um, he he didn't um, want to be an old right uh, feeble man he wanted to be you know uh you know i i get it and it's part of the reason the whole the whole the whole angle of they they both slept with the same woman that works i mean because you have the the structure appeal of somebody like someone who's played bond before uh being able to do that so you you buy into it and you accept it in a ways that you may not if the wrong person was cast yeah i don't know i mean yeah it's it's hard to buy it's weird don't get me wrong but But you're like, oh, it's okay. interesting now. I know that's just the actor's ego that that, yeah. that, that wasn't in the script because that's what it is. That's uh, what it is. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, I think it was in the script, but not in the same way, not as direct. Like he talked about her speaking in her sleep and whatnot. It's like, well, how else would you know that? So it's not not quite as direct. Oh, no, he cooked that one up. All right, stats and accolades of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Release date, May 24th, 1989, going into Memorial Day weekend. So this was 
planned to be a big hit. I mean, it's Indiana Jones. Uh, it was, what, five years and one day uh, after the release of Temple of Doom. So there was a lot of hype going into it. Uh, on a budget of $48 million, which I know that sounds small numbers now when you have you know, big action movies easily crossing the 250 300 million dollar mark uh, but that was big back in 1989 that 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 budget uh, uh opening weekend uh, it was number 1 29.3 million actually held the number 1 spot for 2 weeks um it eventually fell to number 2 in uh, week 3 to Star Trek 5 the Final Frontier and then it was number 2 again in week 4 to Ghostbusters 2 a uh, future replay uh value film we'll, we'll be doing here uh, domestically, it would go on to make 197.1 million worldwide. To date, it has made 474.1 million. A monster, monster hit. And it was also, you said it was number two a lot. It looks like in the box office standings, it was also runner-up number two for the box office ranking of 1989. Oh, uh, really? Oh, yeah. wow! Behind Batman. Ah, God bless me! I can't wait to do that movie, man. Yeah. Love it. A PG-13 rating, first in the series. Uh, the mm -hmm. first two films had a controversial PG. Well, that, I think one of, they were one of the driving factors for the creation of the PG-13 rating, I think, was either Raiders or Temple of Doom. Probably Doom. Yeah. Um, the fact that, um, that you know, that... <laughs> Eventually, you know the the board was like the ratings board was like, okay, listen, we we got it. We it's not R, it's not you know PG. Is that there's got to be some middle ground here? But the funny thing is, this is the most mild and family friendly Indiana Jones of the three. Yet it's the one with PG thirteen. Well, I mean, with the, some of the themes in there, and uh, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, it is deserving of the PG thirteen rating. If that's out there, you're not well, you're not going to give it PG. Well, probably because of the body count, we got an yeah. even fifty. Wow, that's higher than I would have thought. Wow, thirteen by Andy and twelve by Henry. Uh, one by Marcus. I mean, where are all these deaths? I should have done a little more body count research. Uh, but well, I would say a lot of them are going to be uh, Donovan when he's just sending in all those quote unquote volunteers to take yeah. on the first trial. I mean, well, it either shoots them there or they have a chance to get through. Yeah, I mean, I, they got to get the push broom out for all those decapitations. I mean, just clearing out, clearing the way. But uh, With a runtime of two hours and seven minutes, the longest Indiana Jones movie. But I'll tell you, it is such an easy watch. I mean, yeah, it flies by. Moves. It does not feel like a two-hour film. Raiders feels longer than Crusade. It, in some ways, it does. You're right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just, yeah. Raiders is great, but. Raiders is great. No, I love Raiders, but Crusade just, man, it, it moves. Home media released on a record seven home video formats, February 1st, Holy 1990. Shit. Eight millimeter, laser disc, beta, VHS, super VHS. And then it was eventually released on DVD in 2003 and Blu-ray in 2012. Had to wait ages back in the day. Now it's 45 days. Fucking Batman is streaming on HBO Max. It's good time to be alive with movies. I mean, you get they're so they're so easily available to you. So, and my kids, uh, they'll never know the struggles. <laughs> uh, the consensus with critics is that the you know it, this movie returned Indy to his roots, uh, the roots of Raiders. It was light, you know, fun action serial. Ebert loved it, three and a half out of four stars. Uh, it was, however, panned by Andrew Sarris. Yeah, I'd read that. Yeah, for some reason, it just always developed was like dull or something. It did just it didn't click. So I don't know. You always count on Saris or Pauline Kale knocking a great movie off its pedestal, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> well, I mean, in some ways, I mean, that's you know, 
but also if you take a big blockbuster like that and you shit on it a little bit, you know, that, that, well, you know, that controversy is what attracts readers, you know, to, sure. to you, like, yeah. Well, to their credit, Saris and Kale didn't go back and rewrite old reviews of great movies to make it line up with the consensus of the public today. Uh, the consensus of the public is all that matters. Like when I look at a new movie that's coming out, like, Hey, do I want to see it? It's going to be good. Oftentimes I won't even look at the critics. If I do see something, we talked, we we talked about that in other episodes. Now it doesn't matter. Back in the day it did, but yeah, like you go on Rotten Tomatoes though, it'll show you what the critics rated and then what the audience score is. Audience score is usually, I mean, that's that, that, that's the way to go. I mean, you look at like, no, none of those are the way to go. Cause I don't get none of the scores. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned them because of stats. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes was 88% Metacritic 65 and a cinema score. A that is the audience. Uh, but you know, none of those really matter. Uh, it, it is on the stat sheet, but just like with, you know, an athlete, we could talk about their stats. If we're talking about a podcast about an athlete, but that's not what's important. It's championships. It's winning. Uh, and this movie is winning. <laughs> You dumb. Why? Um, you know, th- well, that's why we wait to wait five years before we cover a movie. You need that time to see, okay, how is it truly going to be received into pop culture? Uh, awards of the film, uh, one Oscar win, best sound effects, and uh, two Oscar nods, best sound and best music. John Williams, the... Uh, of course. The GOAT, uh, 180th Oscar nomination. Wow. <laughs> No, I mean, I'm you exaggerating. Go, I was going to say, I believe it, though. I believe yeah, I know. it. You, you actually you were like, holy shit. Um, I think it is like, it's way up there. Uh, three BAFTA nominations, another seven wins, and 17 nominations. Yeah. I mean, no, I would believe it with John Williams. If there's anybody, I would say uh, you'd break triple digits for Oscar noms. It would be him. Um, music of the Year for 1989. Grammy Record of the Year, Wind Beneath My Wings by Bette Midler. However, that was only good for number seven on the Billboard Hot 100. Number one that year um, was Look Away by Chicago, which was a good song, but surprised uh, to see that at number one for the Billboard. Movies of the year. uh, We already mentioned uh, the top films of the box office. Uh, Some uh, notable uh, movies. uh, Lethal Weapon 2, uh, Look Who's Talking, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Back the Future 2, and Ghostbusters 2. Wow, Not a, a lot of the sequels. A lot of sequels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of great sequels, though. Yeah, yeah. You know, those are all pretty, pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, Oscar Best Picture winner, Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, actually, not all the sequels are great. Razzie Worst Picture winner, Star Trek V: The Final Frontier, directed by and starring William Shatner. Yeah, that one. Uh, it's it, uh, funny. You know, we talked earlier. It knocked off. Um, this film, Last Crusade, from the number one spot. The second week it came, the, that Star Trek Five was out, it plummeted down the sure. leader, the box office leader. And it only cost you three dollars and ninety nine cents on average to go see it back then. So pretty, pretty cheap ticket. But adjusted for inflation, it's about eight dollars today. Sexiest Man Alive in nineteen eighty nine, Sean Connery. Oh yeah, dude, this of is course. Connery's year. Oscar winner, Sexiest Man Alive. Yeah, I mean. Hey. His agent was on top of it. I'll tell you uh, that. Putting in great it. films. I mean, yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, and time person of the year, Gorbachev. Other events of the year uh, in 1989, the Cold War ended after 30 years. That's probably why Gorbachev was time person of the year. Uh, the Galileo spacecraft was launched by NASA. Uh, Game Boy was released by Nintendo. The first episodes of The Simpsons aired. Oh, wow. Uh, the 49ers, team of the 80s, won their fourth Super Bowl. And George... 
H.W. Bush becomes 41st President of the United States. All right, moving on to our best scenes and lines from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, as we discussed, I mean, you got a lot of action uh, set pieces with six different types of chases. The movie just it clicks, it flows. It's high replay value with great scenes. What's your runner-up for best scene? So many scenes that are worthy. Uh, this ranks tops amongst any movie we've. I'm serious, man. Like I could list 15 scenes right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, I really could. Uh, and then, and I, oh, God, it's so good. Uh, my runner-up, though, got to go with Indy doing what Indy does best, kicking Nazi ass on the tanks. Indy, your father and Brody. Where's my father? They have them in the belly of that steel beast. Okay. In particular, when it. he saves his dad and Marcus. Yeah, I love it though. You got a lot of cool moments where like he's fighting, but he has the awareness to hit the throw the whip out to grab his dad that's on the, the track of the tank running backwards, you know, and like it's Dark Knight indie. I mean, he's at the peak <laughs> of his Dark powers, Indy. man. Dark I'm gonna say he's like a 98. Everything's got to come mean, back it, to Batman. It, you know, with it's, you. It's, it's like 96 Jordan, man. Uh, not 90. Oh no, you could say 98 because it's Last Crusade, but he's got it all. Like he's got the awareness, but he's still got the athleticism. He's still able to kick ass. Uh, he's it's Indy clicking on all cylinders in that scene, and it is awesome to watch. <laughs> the determination, I mean, he, he you know he's going to get it done, and nothing's going to stop him. Yes, I mean Indiana Jones is like that. You know that that is the climax action set piece of the film because what yes. comes after that is like you know uh, the trials and everything with the doing the Grail. But as far as mm. action is concerned, that's it. That tank chase. Oh yeah. And, and, uh, you know, it, it's quite a long scene, uh, but I, I love <laughs> I love the end of it though. Uh, after you think Indy dies and it goes off the cliff, <laughs> and <laughs> he then he just comes up behind. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It, 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 Harrison Ford plays that so well. He's just kind of out of breath, and then you know, and then the hat blows back to him and everything, and you get uh, little, which is classic. Classic. You know, you get, so, the, yeah. you get a little uh, hint of the theme there. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Love that. Love that. Okay, uh, my runner-up uh, for best scene is the opening scene, and it's again, it's quite a long Man. set piece. I get it, but I had to include the whole thing here just because I, I mean, uh, the introduction to, to young Indiana. You get a lot of the origins of of how he got the way that he is, like you know, with the whip when it. He, Cuts himself on the lip, and that's how he got the scar. And which is a great tie-in to Harrison Ford's real-life scar from a car accident. So that, yep. that's a, just genius how they tie that in there. Why they do that is even though River Phoenix played a younger version of Harrison Ford in another film uh, in, in the 80s, uh, the name of it forsakes me right now, they did that to kind of make you believe it was really him at a young age. And it works perfectly to kind of help you buy into that even more. Yeah, that was part of the reason he got the role for Young Indiana, but because Harrison Ford's like, I that's he looked the most like me because it was mosquito something. I the names is yeah, that's well, it. But, yeah, something like that. Yeah, but yeah, like that that him him working them working together on that film got him this this part. But just that is such a brilliant way to show to establish the father son relationship because that happens early on and you get you don't actually see his face. It's not Sean Connery. It's a different actor. Uh, Connery just overdubbed the line there, uh, but. Uh, you get that the establishing of like this strict paternal son. They're on their own relationship. He's got to stop everything he's doing to count in a different language and, and all these things and being a boy scout. Dad, 
out. What's important? Then wait. Count to 20. No, Dad, you listen. Junior! One, two, three, four. In Greek. It does a lot to a stat, like to again give you a personable look at the Indiana Jones character. Um, but uh, uh, one of my favorite things about that, though, is <laughs> is the end of that. Whenever the the guy uh, Fedora, what the, the the leader of the gang, uh, puts the hat on young Indiana, and then it kind of it's a great transition, and he pans up. And it's Harrison Ford on the boat, and he's smiling, <laughs> and then just gets punched in the face. <laughs> and you're and you're back with you know you're you're with your present day uh, yeah. Indy. So uh, yeah, I, I, again, I know it's a long set piece, the opening scene, but that well, was, they uh, tie the, that scene with him finding that artifact as a young uh, a Boy Scout, the Cross uh, of Coronado, the, yeah, yeah, to him getting it as an adult, which brings you to modern day. The genius in that, there's a lot of things I love about that. That's a great fucking runner up. At it is an honorable mention, but it was it was it was competing for a title slot. Um, the iconography, the all Americana of the, the the photography like how everything looks how it's photographed like the the, the costume colors it's a, like a, a boy scout painting that you're saying it's mm. it, 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 we talk about scale consistent with this movie this adds to the scale of the Indiana Jones franchise. We get to see Indy at a young age, which this led to the popularity of Young Indy, which spawned all these other types of shows and books right, and everything. Yeah. The Young Indy was very popular, and we got to see that created here with this movie. Another thing that contributes to why this film uh, is just, it's Indiana Jones at its best. I mean, this is a perfectly packaged movie, and it takes yeah. Indiana Jones to another level. <laughs> oh, uh now, yeah, it's, it's well said. Uh, one of the things I do love about that, though, is um, you talk about the iconography and like the, the way that everything looks. The villain in that, who you never really hear, like I think you hear his name once, but he's got the white suit with the white hat, still wearing it, you know, 30 years later or whatever yeah, it is. Sure. And then, and then when the boat blows up and you just see you just see his white hat floating on the water, you're like, well, that's the end of that guy. I guess he's dead because his, his hat's in the water. He must not li- have lived. Well, no, not only is the hat in the water, it is like where the head would be. The hat is ripped. So it implies uh, that, yeah, he definitely is a goner. Uh, but yeah, man, he's just a badass Boy Scout in that whole sequence. And that's the thing. He's on his own, but you're not worried about young Indy. He's, he's like, everybody's lost but me. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Total badass. Yeah, yeah. All right, what about your winner? My winner. Choosing the Grail, man. Are you? They they finally get there, and we see Donovan pick. Which one is it? You must choose, but choose wisely. For as the true Grail will bring you life, the false Grail will take it from you. I'm not a historian. I have no idea what it looks like. What is it? Let me choose. Thank you, Doctor. Does it go so well? And you, then we, you know, but this adds to the lore and the stakes of Indy having to pick it. And then we see him pick the cup. It would not be made out of gold. That's the cup of a carpenter. Find 
have chosen wisely. That whole sequence is terrific. It, 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 it pays off. The, the, the movie's been building to this moment, and Spielberg delivers the goods. Like, it works. <sighs> I love that. I mean, I, I did have that specifically, that part you're referring to, as an honorable mention. My winner, though, was the actual trials to get to that point. Uh, and I understand that, like, picking the grail is essentially the last trial, finding the right one. But the three trials preceding the that. The three challenges. Got a, yeah, yeah, the yeah. The challenges, yeah, yes. yes, yes. So I had that as an honorable mention. So, yeah, you have to have those in there. Yeah, so we kind of flip-flopped. I mean, it was very close to being a matchup there, but it centered around the, the you know, the, uh, obtain, finally obtaining the grail. Um, was there, but like, uh, you know, we talked about the invisible bridge earlier and how they did that, and like the you know, the kind of the leap. It's a leap of faith. You must believe, boy. You must believe. Spielberg thought of all of those. He he he's the one who envisioned what the three trials would be. Wow! And, and just like the kid in me just ate that up. <laughs> one of the things I loved most about this film was like him using the book. Penitent man will pass. Penitent man. Or the penitent man will pass. back and forth between spelling Jehovah. And he's like, it starts with an I, you know, in Latin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, the name of God. The name of God. Jehovah. But in the Latin alphabet, Jehovah begins with an I. J. Uh, so yeah, that that had to be my my winner was those trials. Yeah, they have a really great shot when he's going through there and he falls through the floor and he's hanging and they put the camera way down below and you see a shot of just how deep that ground is, like if he's gonna fall to his death. I don't know. That's just a great shot. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but the camera's way yeah, deep. Yeah, oh, I know exactly what you're talking and you about. You see yeah, him it, just dangling there for a second. It's wow, it's great. Yeah, originally that whenever he stepped on the J it was shot that uh, just like a tarantula would crawl up him or something like that. And it didn't feel like the stakes were high enough uh, so that they changed it to where he was, a stunt, you know, double fell through and, and sure. And there was a huge, you know, drop off. You know. Yeah. All right. What about your honorable mentions? No, you're going to do yours first. Cause I have a lot. And then we're oh, going to see if you wow. knock some of mine out. Cause okay. I have too many, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, you know, again, it, it, I, I tried to limit mine because of that. You could just, you could name so many. So, um, one, uh, I, I love the whole thing when they go to that, uh, that castle in Germany, um, uh, to, uh, or whenever he meets up with his dad there. Um, but near the end of that, whenever, uh, <laughs> they're tied up and they're trying to find the missing pages, uh, to the diary mm. and, and, and Indy is hyping up Marcus. <laughs> he sticks out like a sore thumb. We'll find him. The hell you will. 
He's got a two-day head start on you, which is more than he needs. Brody's got friends in every town and village from here to the Sudan. He speaks a dozen languages, knows every local custom. He'll blend in, disappear. You'll never see him again. With any luck, he's got the grail already. Uh, does anyone here speak English? <laughs> it's so great. But like, you know, he, he does a great job building them up and then that cutaway to him being like, hello, does anyone speak English? <laughs> Greek or whatever. Yeah, um, he, yeah. I love that. Um, another one I had here is when they go into the belly of the beast, into the uh, the in Berlin, the uh, to retrieve the, the no, no, no. When they go into the to Berlin, the belly of the Nazi beast, uh, so to speak. Oh, the book burning, uh, and you know he just kind of gets shuffled into uh, you know the, the crowd, and he turns around and he's face to face with Hitler. With Adolf Hitler, like, yeah, yeah. And you're like, and oh shit! Shines, he signs his book, and it's like you know. And he's on his way. So I love that. And he just kind of smiles. And then somehow they par- they had their motorcycle parked on the front row and nobody questioned what this professorial looking dude with glasses on is there at a, at a book, book burning. I mean, I know Indy got a costume, but like, what was, what was, what was uh, his dad doing the whole time? But anyway, sitting in the car anyway. Uh, and then uh, last one here was uh, uh, actually going back to the, uh, the 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 castle where they meet up and they're tied up and you know up to this point um when you've gotten the 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 banter between indy and his dad indy's been kind of the dumbass he brought the journal back he kind of messed things up he got him caught you know it's been it's been the senior scolding him for being for messing things up sure uh but then you kind of get a little glimpse of how they're similar in some ways because he's like can you try and reach my left jacket pocket what am I looking for? My lucky charm. It looks like a cigarette lighter. Try and burn through the ropes. Very good. And drops it and sets the whole place fire it's like that's something indiana jones would have done no uh, i like that no that's very much a henry jones characteristic because he does it again when he's on the plane and he accidentally shoots the tailwind on the plane yes and that's another he good says, example he says uh oh they got us son i'm sorry and, <laughs> and it was him i don't think that's something indiana does i think no, that's I mean, something just, henry, that henry jones like, does i think that's he's because he's such like he's not a field or he's not a field guy so i think it just shows how out of touch he is it starts to Fish no, out I'm of just water. saying, in some ways, like being your own worst enemy and making a mistake, yeah, to and then getting out of it anyway and figuring out a dad, solution. Dad, eleven o'clock. What happens at eleven o'clock? Yeah. No, Dad, eleven o'clock. <laughs> but I, yeah, so just being able to see that he's not just like this. You know, I don't know. Ha- kind of having that uh, that humanization of him that he can make mistakes as well. I love that. All right, give it to me. What's your list? We got honorable, honorable mentions. When they're tied up together, that that was actually, I think, a contender for runner-up or winner. That's a great scene. It is. The, yes, yeah, it is. Uh, it's terrific. Dad! Oh, Dad! Oh, Dad! Ah! Head for the fireplace! So that was honorable mention. You, you covered that. Uh, Got to go with the catacomb with when when they're uh, when they find the uh, the rest of the the night shield. The shield, uh, yeah, where yeah. they're dealing with the rats. Oh, rats. 
the, the fireball that ensues uh, <laughs> before emerging out into the street. But hey, they, they get what they need. Um, ah, Venice. Yeah. <laughs> dude, how you not mention this? The boat fight scene. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, there's the too music. Many. I tried to... Oh, come on, man. It's, it's classic uh, action movie music. Bam, bam. Dang, dang. Yeah, Bam. it's so great. Yeah, I mean, Williams I is it, just yeah. uh, operating it. Uh, has, has all the. Uh, everyone in the orchestra is working on that song. The song is loud. It's almost like Zimmer today. I mean, it's very present. The music kind of drives a lot of the. Uh, feels like a lot of the action in his sense. Oh, no, it definitely does. Yeah, when on the boat next to the propeller, and that's adding to the the, the kind of the, the, the urgency that you're, you're feeling watching it yeah for sure when dr jones takes down the plane with his umbrella and the uh the pigeons that that seems great because we we actually uh, uh dr jones makes himself useful in the field of action for for a change uh but it's also cool because what i love is he look he takes down the plane we see the explosion that's a cool scene with the pigeons taking him out What's even better, though, is when he walks away and this camera lingers on Indy and we see Harrison kind of gaining a different type of respect for his dad. It's a pretty cool moment. I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne. Let my armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky. <laughs> yeah, because he actually is making himself useful thinking of this creative solution when Indy was out of ideas. I mean, at that point, like, but it also, no, it also has that thing. Like he kind of thought he had, he had a one up to his dad in a sense. And his dad just kind of added to, Oh no, son, I still, I still got you. Or so I still got it. Uh, and then my last honorable mention is the, uh, man, it's the classic map sequence. When we see Indy oh, traveling yes. and you have the plane, uh, yes. traveling. And then we usually get some kind of sequence with him, perhaps. And we definitely have the great John Williams music. Of course. Uh, again, this, this is the Indiana Jones film that has all the elements that make it an Indiana Jones movie. And this is a crucial one. Yeah. That is iconic to the Jones franchise is that, that way that they show the, how they travel on the map. So yes, yeah, good. Including that. Okay, so let's move on to our best lines. Uh, I'll kick things off with my runner-up here. Uh, it's a simple one, but it makes me laugh. Uh, it's just it's well done. It's uh, when <laughs> Andy yeah. throws Vogel out yeah, the window. Andy goes, "No ticket." Yep, that's also my runner-up. What did we just become best friends? Yep. No ticket. Yeah, I love that. It's so funny. And then everyone starts scrambling to get their yeah. ticket. <laughs> I was not expecting us to match up on that one. Now, no, I love that. That's so good. Now, I do think uh, we'd better match up on the winner here because this is its a great line. The delivery uh, okay, is great. Okay, yeah. It belongs in a museum. It belongs in a museum. No, no, no. That's no. the line, bro. That's it. I mean, that's a great line, but... That's I, the most memorable from the no, movie. It's no, no, so no, no, quotable no, 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 and iconic. No, no, no. no. great. I, I I respect it, but you're wrong. You're just wrong. Uh, the, the, the best line in the film is... He chose poorly. Oh, that is great. But yeah, it's not yeah. the best. No, I, it yeah, is yeah, the best. It, it, I, had it, an honorable, I had his honorable mention. It, it's the the you, actor makes that line funny. Yeah, but and you talk about the usage of the line in pop culture. I mean, pop culture yeah, people use it great. today. Yeah. I mean, it, when you make okay, a well, bad I'm decision, not you. I just think it's Indiana Jones, the most Indiana line. This is maybe the most iconic line. I hate snakes, and it belongs in a museum. I mean, those two are. I get it. Yeah, 
I get it. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying that. Well, I am disagreeing. This one's better. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, what about uh, honorable mentions? You, you you go first on these. Junior. Junior. Okay. Just, just I love, uh, because Sean Connery is just kind of like this great hero, Indiana Jones, we look up to. Uh, it, Sean Connery's reminding us that, hey, at some point, you were, he was just a kid. My soul is prepared. How's yours? My soul is prepared. How's yours? This is your last chance. Don't look for It's yours. Like that whole exchange when he's like, it's your last chance. Uh, on the is, boat. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To, from, from my honorable mention boat fight scene that you've uh, neglected. Chasm um, or Kazim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first time we see Nazis in the movie, Indiana says, Nazis. I hate these guys. Mm-hmm. Love that. Love that, yeah. Fly, Yes. Land? No. I didn't know you could fly a plane. Why, yes. Land? No. <laughs> I'll just finish up here with my last honorable mention. I should have mailed it to the Mox Brothers. I should have mailed it to the Mox Brothers. Well, you take it easy. <laughs> you just you just want an excuse to 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 say Sean Connery lines. I, I see. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great, man. Uh, it's. <laughs> now my problem is is that I can't say Sean Connery lines without actually doing a uh, Daryl Hammond impersonation from Sean Connery on Celebrity Jeopardy from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> That's what it turns into. <laughs> uh, what were your honorable mentions? Actually, I had a completely different batch of honorable mentions than you. Uh, one of them is a personal favorite of mine. I don't think it would be on anyone else's list, but me and a buddy of mine used to to, to quote it to each other just because it was fun. It's a funny exchange between. Um, uh, Jones Sr. and Marcus whenever they're in the tank and they say, genius of the restoration. Adar on resuscitation. You did that really well. That was good. Thank you. Yeah, like, I, I good said, Marcus. Me, me and a buddy, we used to do that all the time. So yeah. Yeah, uh, you nailed thank that. You. Thank you. Genius of the restoration. Adar on resuscitation. And then the, uh, whenever they first get to the castle, and it's Elsa, and he takes her little beret or whatever, the hat, and he tries to impersonate the sky. <laughs> We're here to see the tapestries. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we have tapestries. This is a castle, and we have many tapestries. And if you are a Scottish lord, then I am Mickey Mouse. How dare he? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the how dare he line from Harrison Ford and then the the punch I love a I love a good uh, good movie punch there. That but, line uh, is from an old uh, '40s film. Spielberg uh, had it reworked. I forget the, um, it, uh, to be a deep cut. I, I mean, I have to look up the title, but yeah, it's it's from an old. old that movie. is a very deep cut. Wow, that's good. Here I, I just looked it up. Uh, the line is originally from 1941's Road to Zanzibar, starring Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. Uh, and then my last one here, and I can't believe you didn't mention this because it was a favorite of ours growing up. It's after Donovan shoots um, Sean Connery's Dr. Jones character uh, and you know puts Indy on the spot about going to get the grail and says, You can't save him when you're dead. The healing power of the grail is the only thing that can save your father now. It's time to ask yourself what you believe. <laughs> but that that I do love Julian Glover's line delivery on that. The what you believe uh, is it, to me, it's always stuck out, and I, I love I love that line. Moving on to Judge Bob's recasting court, where Warren and I recast the film of today's stars. All rise for the Honorable Judge Bob presiding. Gentlemen, you may be seated. 
Free casting court is in session. Fellas, we all love this one. Loving the notes on it. Hoping to uh, hoping to feel some brotherly love tonight. I'm, I'm never thinking there might be an argument or two. In this <laughs> no, this fuck is great. I, I agree. Yeah, I'm I'm owed two this year. I'm in it for blood. Let's go. It's Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. I love this movie, and I'm fighting to the death. Okay. Well, I'm ready. Let's let's look at the docket here. We're gonna hear uh, recasting for Salah, Walter Donovan, Marcus Elsa, Henry Jones, and Indiana Jones. Phil, for the second. Ugh. Recasting right. episode in a row. That's right. <clears throat> Nobody's counting. Bathe it in. Love it. Apparently our corrupt judge is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shots fired yeah. early. I, I think you're fair and impartial, Bob. So Yeah, sure. Th- right. He wears the colored jersey. <laughs> that being yeah. said, Phil, who do you have as Salah? Salah is somewhat the comedic relief. Um, I love John Rice Davies in the role. He's perfect. I mean, he's got there's a gravitas to John Rice Davies, just his voice and, and everything, but there, there's a, a humor in it sometimes too, and how he plays. He's a great actor. Love him as you know, Gimli in Lord of the Rings. Sala is one of also, of course, one of my favorite roles of his. Um, so you want a guy who's capable, who can handle his shit, but at the same time ha- has a little bit of a comedy factor to him. I went with Benedict Wong, who plays most famously, I would say Wong in, um, Avengers Endgame, Doctor Strange, uh, the Doctor Strange films, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So he is my Sala. So he, he's from Egypt. Now, see, you can, sw- I mean, John Rhys Davies is from Egypt. I mean, come on. I think it was important taking place in Egypt. You had to go with an Egyptian uh, actor here. He just uh, lives there. I mean, you could, you could, whatever. You he's know. a well-connected, uh, He's he's got his finger on the pulse. He's a badass, uh, can, can certainly take care of himself. <laughs> no doubt. Like yeah, Marcus. Sure. Um, you know, Indy even trust him. Hey, uh, Sal and I are going to go get transportation. You guys hang, you know, hang out, stay hidden. Get some um, camels. Yeah. Yeah. No camels. I said no camels and I count five. Um, for my Salah, I went, and I'm probably not going to say this right, Saheed Badrea. He's a really good actor. He was in, um, he's been in a lot of stuff, but uh, probably what you know him from is the first Iron Man. Mm-hmm. He actually plays one of the terrorists in that. Uh, but quite frankly, there's a short list of Egyptian actors, and and you know he's at the top of it, and he actually does resemble the actor, uh, the the original actor, John Rhys Davis. So, yeah, I went I went with Syed here. Well, I mean, I'm not very that familiar with the actor. I, I have no doubt he's very good. I just and I, I and I respect what you're doing as far as like uh, this is a character who is from Egypt. You want you want you want to keep with that. I'm with the trying recasting. to stay in that lane. Uh, yeah, but it, but, you know, I mean, it does limit me a little bit. It, it limits you. Yeah. I mean, this is somebody who could easily have those international connections and, you know, have transplanted to Egypt. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, I, mean, I think the character is supposed to be an, uh, a native there. He's supposed to be from uh, there. I, I could say, when I mean, take into, when you take into consideration the, the wardrobe, that's someone who is from Egypt. That's not, uh, well, again, you could have adopted transplant. the, you could have, you know, you lived there for a while and that's the, you know, uh, when looking at these actors and everything about them, uh, th- there's a big difference in John Reese Davies and Jonathan Reese Myers. Uh, not the same person. <laughs> You dumbass. <laughs> Absolutely not the same person. I was like, Jonathan Reese Myers wasn't well, in this movie. For the second episode in a row with 
Halle Berry and Halle Bailey. Yeah, yeah. It's just like Warren's the one that messes up the names. Come on, you got. I know. I, mean, I mess up pronouncing them, but I know who I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, I love it. So uh, again, uh, loving the the tonality and the the recency that uh, that you've gone with, Phil Benedict Wong. Gonna take this one. Thank you. Yes. Keep it moving, Walter Donovan. Who do you have here? Walter Donovan was a tough recast for me because, <clears throat> you know. I'm not going to say that I've seen this movie so many times, you know, the turn that Donovan makes to the bad guy, but initially you, you maybe feel like he he's, you know, be someone that's believably hiring Indy for, you know, um, pure motives, uh, maybe some greed, but definitely not evil, not working for the Nazis. Um, so you want to have somebody that can believably take that turn. He's not like a comic book villain. Not he's not like the like the SS Colonel Vogel or whatever in the film. Like you can actually believe his motives are real. He's not just some wacky bad guy. I went with Giancarlo Esposito, Gus Fring um, from Breaking Bad. Uh, of course, you know, he's uh, most you love recently- your TV actors, and when we're casting f- f- franchises, don't you feel? I, I love it. I love casting actors that are fantastic. He's a great. He's a, you know, he's a fantastic actor, but uh, Walter Donovan. I mean, I, I think uh, this is actually the easiest role to recast because I'm really not a fan of the actor who did this in the original. Uh, I think a lot more could have been done with it. Um, I mean, he's okay, uh, but I think a lot more could have been done with this role if you gave it to put it in the right actor's hands. Um, I thought of Malcolm McDowell. Okay. Yeah, I like that. That would be good. That's good. Christoph Waltz, but I think his prior association with Inglorious Bastards, it just it just kind of rules him out. It's funny. It's funny. Um, we did the first indie film, Raiders of the Lost Ark, as our season two premiere, and I went back after I set my recastings. I didn't want to be swayed one way or the other, so I waited till I was done. I said, I wonder who we we casted for that because I don't. It's three years ago. I don't remember. And we did actually recast Christoph Waltz as the villain Belloc in uh, in that film. Well, you know the thing is that German can't play this role because he's a traitor to his country who right. joined the Germans. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. he kind of that rules him out too. So uh, I went with Kenneth Branagh. Oh, Perfect. okay. Yeah, uh, you think about his role in Tenet, uh, a man who's of means, a multimillionaire who's ruthless, uh, who has his sights set on something, mm. and he'll do whatever it takes to get it. But and he'll use, he'll hide behind uh, the, the veneer of class and um, charisma to get it. Uh, he is very charismatic. I love him. I always see him as Gilderoy Lockhart in the second Potter film, <clears throat> but he's a he's a great actor. I love that. Uh, well done, too, Warren. I like that one. Uh, Kenneth Branagh is going to take this one. Yeah, finally. Yeah. Get on the board. Good job. Good job. Keep it rolling here. Who's your Marcus? Uh, my Marcus. Okay, so uh, a f- friendly character, easily distracted, and at times <laughs> completely helpless. Uh, <laughs> in the first Indiana Jones film, he was more of a mentor to Indy, but then when Dr. Jones, uh, his father, was introduced in the third film, Marcus's character had to evolve to a different purpose in the story, so they made him more of a goofball. Uh, he's more for comic effect. Uh, he, but, you know, it, it, I almost think in a sense, if you look at overall from the, the franchise, he is Indy's Alfred or the closest thing to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought of Dan Aykroyd, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, uh, but I went with Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub. Oh, I love Perfect. him. Yeah, he's very yeah, good. I think he'd be great at this. Uh, <laughs> he, so likable, but, you know, just you, 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 I can just see him replaying the scene where he, they're, they're talking about giving the book to Marcus and it's just not being the right decision. <laughs> you know, if um, 
<laughs> if you watch in the, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, um, Tony Shalhoub plays her dad, um, this Mrs. Maisel's dad. And like, I could, he plays a professor. I mean, he's like a, an acad, academia man. And I could almost see <laughs> it's that same type of role a little more in this film, a little bit more of the comedic kind of blunderhead uh, side of it. But that's, I love Shalhoub and we've never used him. It, 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 we've never recasted him before. So nice. I'm busting your chops about a TV. I just being a candy ass. Cause he's very much, a, I mean, he's a great actor, but he's much more known for television than film. Um, funny enough. You actually did. Uh, when we did um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you did cast Ellen Skarsgård as your Marcus Brody. So funny. I you almost, almost landed on that again. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so, and I misspoke earlier. We didn't have Belloc as Christoph Watts. We had Tote, the the wild, crazy guy with the glasses that whose face melts. But anyway, uh, moving on. To he's Ma- the Nazi, right? Yes, exactly. Um, so, my Marcus and Bob, I, I don't envy you here because I, I think I've, I've I'm very proud of my pull as far as like the comedic, blundering type of uh, role that you would do you see out of Marcus in this film. I went with Stephen Root. Barry, uh, Office Space. I mean, just one of the greatest character actors. One of your, per, one of your perennial recastings. He's yep. on the bench with just sitting right oh, yeah. next to Sebastian Stan. Yeah, exactly. The difference is, is you're not going to give me any shit for, for using Steven Root because he's awesome. Yeah, so. but Steven Root, uh, look, he's a great, you know, he could just play every type of character. Yeah. Uh, you've seen him play helpless characters. You've seen him play, what, conniving, vindictive characters. Uh, yeah. Look at him and Barry. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, he, he's, yeah, great. We're, we're picking some great actors here. So, yeah, don't envy your position here, Judge. I, I kind of see Marcus like a, like almost like a Mathis character from the Bond movies, but with a comedic timing, but there's such a layer of academia throughout. Everybody seems competent, even when they're incompetent at certain times Mm -hmm. in the Indiana films. Uh, So therefore Tony Shalhoub fit what I was looking for here. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, that, that, that's very good. That's a good pull. Um, Phil actually texted me and said that that one was the, it's fitting that I did get that one. Cause Phil even texted me like, dude, that's fucking on the money. Yeah. I love Shalhoub. Yeah. And, and we're watching the newest season of Mrs. Maisel. So yeah, I mean, when I saw it, I was like, it's not that he's dumb. It's just, he's out of his element. You know, that's the thing. So, and Shalhoub plays that very well. Yeah. In all of his TV shows. <clears throat> <laughs> it doesn't matter. The argument is going to fit the recasting for Warren. I, I, I just, just being a candy ass, okay? I just like, but these are all great actors we're talking about, movie, TV, and this isn't the '90s anymore. The line is blurred, okay? You got actors seamlessly going back and forth. We're, I'm just busting chops. Yeah, uh huh. Whatever it takes to win. I got you, bro. All right, chop buster. Who do you got for Elsa? Elsa uh, coming in strong here. Conflicted character. I think she switches sides a lot. She's with Indy, she's with the Nazis, and she she just goes back and forth. Femme fatale, uh, has some empathy, but ruthless. I went with Diane Kruger. Mm, oh, it's very good. I think she's on the money for this. Uh, perfect, has all the qualities of the character, and uh, dare I say, as great as Allison Duty isn't, and she is, uh, I think Diane would be uh, would would elevate the role. You never really look at uh, the way that Elsa is portrayed as someone who is on the same level as the the Jones boys, in a sense, you know. And you have to think, in 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 some sense, as as far as like hunting the the path of the Grail, she should in some ways be their equal. I mean, she's very intelligent, uh, academic. I mean, she's done her research. She knows about uh, about what they're after from a from an <clears throat> from a, an academic or research standpoint. So with that in mind, I did want to th- 
cast someone who I feel like would would play you know the the both sides of it and the intelligent you know academic which is mm. a, a word we keep using but that's how the character okay let's let's get to it Phil okay. Jesus Christ you're acting well, like you're fucking introducing the Beatles here we in the go whole fucking music rock and roll <coughs> Hall of Fame let, let's, here we get, go let's all go. right everybody um, I went with uh, Samara Weaving uh, who's you know, ready who? or not, ready or not um, she was in oh. the, the, the that show on, on Hulu Nine Perfect Strangers. She she's up and coming. Yeah, person. yeah. She she's very much. She's she's uh, on the rise. Uh, I know who she is. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, for a lot of the same qualities. I mean, and I will pan it to you. Diane Kruger was a, was a very good good casting as well. It's just you know, p- pick your preference here. I like that uh, Kruger's already got a little bit of experience playing a little bit of flip flop role from Troy. Loved it when I saw it on paper. Warren, well done. That was yeah, good. One. I'll give you that one. That was good. Indiana Jones is going to be a tiebreaker if we need one. Um, I just want to go ahead and announce that now because you guys are sitting on the scoreboard that, man, if this if, if Henry goes one way or the other, this could really tilt what we're looking for out of Indy. But um, I don't know. Take the gloves off. Get bloody. Henry Jones. Warren, who you got? Uh, for my Henry Jones, the teacher, the students hope they don't get. <laughs> Grail lore is his hobby. I went with Denzel Washington. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He would be fantastic in this, having, I mean, all the different nuances that Sean Connery mm. brings from his movie star history and then being in the perfect place to play this type of character. Denzel could do that now. Uh, it, it would have all, it, it's one of the, it really helps a film when you can play on an actor's history. Denzel would bring that. And we're talking about one of the five greatest actors ever. Oh, it, perfect. Yeah. Um, that is quite the stretch, my man. Uh, and, and, and listen, I don't care that Denzel. I don't care. Don't, that Denzel, don't tell me you're just going to mention Denzel Man on Fire. Denzel just uh, played Roman J. Esquire in a film where he played a character very much like like, like this, a soft spoken lawyer, yeah. uh, hard studied. He's played variations of characters. Don't you dare try to put Denzel. No, 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 in a no, no, box. no. I would Actors never do that. Do, I would yeah, never okay. do that. He he's never played anything like like this before. But I would. It's Denzel, so I. It, enough said you he can play anything uh but there's th- not a stretch yeah i mean there's like now a, when you take into account who indy is yeah there's like fucking an, perfect yeah okay so i understand the the history of the character of 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 the dad coming in he's like he's indie but better he can do he's smarter he can do every you know i get that but on the screen the way you see it he is He's more of a book person at the at that where the stage he's he's at. That's he's at what now. I'm saying. Denzel has played that before uh-huh. in Roman J. Esquire. He's yeah. done that. He's played all different types of characters. He's yeah. again, you're just looking at him as man on fire. Oh, blah, 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 blah. No, no that's not what Denzel I'm at. can play a character just like this. I'm telling you, he would be great because he would have that intimidation factor with the teachers. And mm-hmm. you could also see the fact that the audience would believe that he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Denzel would bring all that. Okay. Everything Dr. Henry Jones is, Denzel would embody. Yeah, I went with uh, Ben Kingsley. Uh, who- oh, terrible. Fucking terrible. <laughs> wow. I mean, were you kidding me? You're going to rip me on Denzel and you go I, I Ben didn't rip Kingsley? You on Denzel. Okay, Steven S- Spielberg re- cast Sean Connery because he was James Bond. This guy, you have to believe at one point, was just as badass, just as charismatic, could get the girl and save the day, just like Indy at some point. Ben Kingsley is not that guy. I'm sorry. Great actor. We're talking about fucking Gandhi here, bro. But no, in, but no, no, no. But Indy, no. Indy also said that his dad was never a field guy. 
So you, your imagining of the character, why they chose Sean Carney, is very oh, different sorry. than the actual character in the film. It doesn't uh, matter. You want that history with person. it. It works better in the film. It's, it, you want him to be cut from the same cloth as his son. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. It's a father-son movie. you got to have that dynamic. And when you see who I picked as my son, he's perfect as Indy. Wow. And then, I mean, we're already, yeah, I don't want to, already le- leaning into the reveal of that too much. <laughs> yeah. But it's a perfect pairing. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I agree to disagree. I, 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 did, I did think about Pierce Brosnan and Lim Neeson. But, uh, you know, because Neeson's played a lot of avuncular characters. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Denzel, all the way, baby. <sighs> Kingsley, terrible. Sorry, bro. It's just terrible. It's not, I love it. Great I, actor, I think, but not, no. Yeah, well. You're, you're focused too much on him being a book person. You're putting it in too much. That's who box. he is in the film. There's too, there's you too are many imagining, to it. You are imagining no. a Dr. Jones oh, that you oh, don't Oh, I'm see. sorry. Ben Kingsley. No, Ben Kingsley's Dr. Jones doesn't fuck S, uh, Elsa or whatever. <laughs> Uh, d- doesn't fuck her. Sean uh-huh. Connery's dead. Denzel's would. Ben Kingsley's ain't. Okay, that tells you right there how off you are. Ain't happening. It's it's a certain like, you know, hit on the back of the head. You know, a constant just poking at Indy that you gotta have just right. Uh, I love the Denzel Washington. I love it's it. The worst. It's so good. It. It's, it's so good. It's awful. Oh my. God. God, that is it, terrible. It's it great. Be, but if Benedict no, Wong is Salah and Henry is Denzel, man, I'm I'm sitting front row with freaking yeah, butterfingers. Com- completely different movie. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> yeah, maybe a better one as, as great as Sean Connery is. Yeah. Wow. I, I feel like you are only recast to be like, oh, could I believably see him sleeping with Elsa? Um, all right, I'm going to go off that. <laughs> no, but that's a, no, but that's a dimension of the character that, that, that it, you have to take. A very small a dimension of the character. Nevertheless, a little insight till it goes a long way with the character, mm-hmm. and that shows you how Ben Kingsley disqualifies on that. He, he no. At the end of the day, though, the saddest thing here is you've just used Denzel Washington for. Henry Don't Jones, care. three movies. There, there is an absolute oh. absence of badassness to hit J- Jones no. Sr. in this Jones film. has 12 kills. Hindy's got 13. Okay. Henry Henry takes care of some business. <laughs> All right, keep it rolling. <laughs> Who do you have as Indiana Jones? Yeah. Uh, Indy Jr., Indiana Jones, uh, right, you know, sarcastic sense of humor. Just say uh, it. We already know who you're picking. Just got a say fear it. of snakes. John David Washington, man. You got the real father-son pairing. John That's David the only Washington. reason you picked Denzel is so no, that No, it's actually, per- it Washington. falls in perfect place together. It, they, they literally do. No. It, you got to find your Indiana Jones first, and then you have your, 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 uh, your Henry Jones. I'm telling you, it works perfectly to have that dynamic on screen, to get to see them to work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, John David Washington, we've seen him lead action films uh, for none other than Chris Nolan and Tenet. Uh, very easily could see him step into this. Uh, I did think of uh, honorable mentions here. Uh, me, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Wow. Tom Hardy. Just keep digging. Yeah. Chris Pratt and Oscar Isaac. But, you know, I need a few more credits before I'm going to make it on this list. But, uh, God damn it. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So. Uh, I will throw this out here. Your last uh, uh, choice for Indiana Jones uh, when we did Raiders of the Lost Ark pre-Judge Bob here um, was Oscar Isaac. And uh, I'm going to agree with that. Uh, that is my choice for Indiana Jones. I've, I've, you know, again, recency bias, been watching Moon Knight, but there's a very small list of actors um, that can play Indy. And actually, my last choice for Indy was Chris Pine. 
However, in hindsight, I don't feel like that was eh, quite right. Um, I feel like the Oscar. No, actually, that's pretty on. Uh, I like that. Um, yeah. Oscar Isaac, I think he can maybe aged out of this uh, just in the past couple of years. I, that's no, maybe. I disagree. He's, he's, he's older. This is the end of the trilogy, uh, Indiana. So I don't. I say Indy was never young, man. Never yeah. young. He always had a little salt in the beard. But I feel like this would, you know, if the Chris's are competing here, this is a Pratt casting, isn't it? Isn't Chris Pratt the it's one? It's too that low gets hanging that? fruit. Yeah, I mean, I, I get, I get yeah. why you would go for it. It's it's too easy. No, I'm not really a. Pratt fans, so mm. I'd go Hemsworth or Hardy before I'd go him. I just feel like there's a certain dirty, you know, conniving. I don't know. I, I feel like Pratt would be where the where the Hollywood elites would land on this. I How? think Hollywood would put Pratt in there. I mean, but I feel like it's again. I think it's just it's your Star Lord. You're he's very much like a Han Solo type character. Right. I mean, you're cha- you're you're essentially chasing what what's what's already been done. Well, the beautiful thing is we'll never know because John David Washington is our freaking Indiana Jones. Yes, bringing yes. the Washingtons. This is yes. the, this is bullshit. I call for <laughs> no, <yeah>. mistrial. Mistrial. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Okay. You're two and zero oh on the year. Uh, well, no, no, I'm two, two and, and one. one now. And I, I mean, yeah. I, I got one right, and I should have gotten. Six right, so six for six. My uh, salad was weak. I, 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 I your salad was weak. With the, you, yeah, you with, put yourself yeah, in the I, box. I, there. I thought I had to be true to the Egyptian roots. You, you did That's uh, uh, what I was trying to do. You need to be true to the international antiquities business that he's in. So mm, okay, fucking using sophisticated twenty dollars words. <laughs> anyway, well done, dumbass. Victory. Recasting court is adjourned. All right, fan theory time. So there's a lot of fan theories out there uh, related to Last Crusade or Indiana Jones as a whole. Uh, one of them that I'd read is that, you know, one of the things that Kingdom of the Crystal School, one of the many things Kingdom of the Crystal School uh, gets a lot of uh, shit for is the... Uh, as it the, should. Yeah, as it should. Is uh, Indy climbing into a refrigerator to survive a nuclear blast. Uh, you know, it's dumb um but they're saying people would love indiana jones so much the franchise they're trying to excuse that by saying because he drank from the holy grail that that gave him some sort of protection added protection that's actually how he was able to survive it it had nothing to do with the refrigerator so eh, that that to me that's just I didn't really like that fan theory. Uh, Interesting, but you know, I don't know. I mean, why you have to of all the fan theories, you got to pick one that has Kingdom of Skull tied into it. Is yeah. Ridiculous. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> I do my best. You know. Why? Um, I mean, you can't disprove it though. I mean, you have well, to think no, that some no, of the benefits no, of the no. Grail. You know. No, no. Am I actually? I believe you get eternal life to protect the Grail if you stay behind the seal. Once the, the you eternal life leaves once you cross the seal. It was my interpretation from the night this last time watching it. It didn't really make sense that they would just live forever if they go back to the world. I think it's giving eternal life uh, or forever being youthful with the drinking from that cup is intended if you stay, you can't go beyond the seal. Well, like it's, effects are temporary, I think. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, it was yeah. able to heal Dr. Jones, but I think once you cross the seal, it's, you're back to being vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, you think Indy aged just like he normally would. It didn't help with that, which, you know, I know that the, the night was 700. Well, what's Spielberg going to do? Bust out the Irishman technology? He could. He could. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, so the, the real fan theory that I wanted to talk about um, was that, uh, and I didn't really notice this until uh, probably I'd seen the movie probably a dozen times because it's not explicitly uh, put out there, is that Elsa intentionally gives Donovan the wrong cup because she wants to kill him. Oh, she absolutely gives him the wrong cup because when Indy's picking the cup, she says it's not made of gold. But well, she gave Donovan the gold cup. So you're right. There is that line saying it would not be made of gold. But it's, She flips allegiance constantly in this movie. She, she does. But I don't know if it, the way that it's done is like if she knew that, knew that, or if she was kind of, kind of something clicked because Indy called it out saying like it's a carpenter's cup. She's like, oh, it would not be made of gold. Kind of like, oh, now that makes sense. But... Man, she did. It, it did seem like she picked up the, the that the first gold one that she came across. Just like, yeah, oh, yeah, here you go. Sure, it's this one. Let me pick it out. The gaudiest, clunky. I mean, that thing is like looks like a fucking bong. <laughs> it's cup, huge, like a, a hookah. For the I mean, king it's of enormous. Kings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, so I do think that one has merit, even though it's not sure. True. I think she intentionally did. For I sure. agree. I agree. Yeah. And we'll close out the episode discussing the legacy of Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. All right, I'm going to go ahead and say it. You know, I always start with the, the segment with the hyperbole statement. The best Indiana Jones movie that's been made to this point. There, I said it. It is. Wow. It is the best Indiana Jones movie. I, I, we can have this debate, but The Last Crusade is the gold finger of the Indiana Jones franchise. It's quintessential indie. It, it, all the best parts of the franchise are in this movie. Uh, like you mentioned, the returning characters. We got the Nazis, the Critters. Uh, kind of that catacomb scene is a shout out to Temple, so we get a little bit of that. But uh, and, and we also you get you got the Holy Grail. We get back to the religious artifact, uh, which seems to be the most compelling for the franchise. It's when Indy's at his best because those religious artifacts they're the most important. I mean, if you heard about the uh, Noah's Ark or the Holy Grail or anything from the Bible actually being recovered, it would be worldwide news. Yeah, I mean, when you have the Nazis mixed with a, a you know a religious artifact like that, it does seem that those are you know, uh, the associations with the better Indiana Jones films. Uh, I mean, they introduced the aliens with Crystal Skull, which you know. We Quit got, bringing up Crystal Skull. I, well, you if you do it you, again, no, no, stop it. We're talking about buy, last Crusade. We're talking about the original trilogy. If you buy a box set of Indiana Jones, that film. It's four films. It's in there. You got it. You got it. it, it recognize it. Uh, but anyway, uh, but you're right. No, with the, the, they had to, they went a different direction. It was, you know, for better or for worse, but it, you know, Raiders and with the Ark of the Covenant and this one dealing with the, the, the grail, uh, it does, it does lend itself to, I think the more intriguing lore uh, as your view, as a viewer of someone who is going to watch a film for a high replay value. Not only that, but they're very well-made films. I would say at its core, a lot of people would say Raiders is the better of the best Indiana Jones film. It introduced the franchise. It is a very good film. That's great. But my personal favorite, I'm going with Last Crusade. And here's the thing. The Last Crusade has Indy doing what he does best, fighting Nazis and looking for religious artifacts. And uh, that's what I love seeing him do. But we've talked about it. It just has all the uh, defining traits of an Indiana Jones film. It's so well packaged and 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 it's just uh it has the highest replay value. I mean you absolutely will I think everyone has seen Last Crusade more than Raiders. Most people. Yeah, the only thing I would say that Raiders has is that it does have that kind of action hero type of romance with Marion that establishes that history of the character that you don't get that. I mean Elsa is it's 
it doesn't ever really go into the the romance side of it because I mean, as soon as you get introduced, it's almost like they swap. It's like uh, you have Indy and Elsa finding Doctor Jones you know, Senior, his dad, and then as soon as he he they they do, it's revealed that she was double crossing them. So it's like you swap that out, and you you have no romance side. You don't have a, a Marion type of character mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of doing things with Indy and kind of you know it, it's it, it trades that out for the father son. So it's a, just a different take on it. Um, you know who who's partnering up with Indiana Jones? But you're right. No personal favorite. The one I've seen the most is the Last Crusade. So it's going to narrowly edge out Raiders for me, but I, I don't want to. Yeah, knock I Raiders think it's the, it's the Dark Knight of the Indiana Jones uh, franchise. It's just the, the it's. I think it's the best of the trilogy. But I'm splitting hairs. Raiders is a very Raiders close is super second. close. Yeah, yeah that, mean, that, that's what I'm saying. It, it's not closer it's, than Batman Begins is to Dark Knight. Yes, it, it's it's not like a clear cut. Oh, it's by far the best. They are very close to to being. And then you know, Temple of Doom is also very good, but in a different way. Talked about the various films of Indiana Jones, the franchise total, four feature films, and a fifth one is currently, uh, I believe, in production with James Mangold directing. Uh, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg won't be in the uh, won't be in the chair for the fifth one, which um, makes me concerned. I'm going to be honest, you know, if you don't if you, you cut that out, I mean, just like. Yeah, and I'd got, be more think, concerned if George Lucas is on set at this point than I would oh. be if Steven Spielberg's directing. Listen, everybody gives Lucas a hard time because of the prequel trilogy of Star Wars, which, listen, those have actually aged not that bad. Yeah. Uh, especially when you look at. You're the too hardcore of a fan. Sequel. We can't trust you. When we look at the sequel trilogy, it's like. James Mangold is a really good director. It's in good hands. We'll see. But I, it begs the question to say I mean, I think I'm reading here it's due to come out. 2023 we'll see if that that gets moved out or not is mangold uh, still on board as the director uh let's see yes james mangold oh, yeah, is yeah. which he did um logan am i correct yes yes okay walk the line he's a really good director yeah yeah girl interrupted uh yeah so he's a very good for for uh he's a a very very good director so um and you got uh mads mickelson in it antonio banderas uh phoebe mads is probably playing the bad guy I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, it does have some potential, but I I would beg the question to to ask you, you know, after the, 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 the failure of 2008's kingdom of the crystal school, uh, they're making a fifth one. I know. I know. I gotta say people out there, the red letter media does a great breakdown of how awful that movie is. Yeah. yeah, You absolutely should check that out. It is fantastic. But there, so you bringing Harrison Ford back yet again as Indiana Jones, and at mm-hmm. what point do you? I mean, it is continuing. You got to recast the character. You right. got to recast it. Yeah, he's seventy nine years old, and you know, at some point, you do have to like twenty years gonna, older than Sean Connery was when he played his dad. How are you going to reinvent this franchise? Because it's a great franchise to to continue on. Do you do you do, do you try to continue it? Do you do you let it go? I mean, at what point? Do you, what is the best way to continue the franchise? I don't think it's making more movies. No, I I do. I think you recast the character and you got to treat it like a, a, a movie franchise. If, if, you, if you have the studio rights on it, it's like a James Bond franchise. You make one every three to five years. You have one actor play Indiana Jones for four or five, six movies, and you just keep recasting it. Uh, that's the way to go if you really want to monetize it from a studio perspective, or uh, if you don't, uh, you seem to not like the feature film route, which I believe Indiana Jones belongs in cinema. So I, I kind of want him to do that. Um, 
they're they're remaking everything else. I I think it's Indiana Jones is a timeless type of it's it's American James Bond. We should have we, we the character should be reinvented and the, and we see what other actors and filmmakers can do with it. I, I think a lot of those stories and elements are timeless, uh, and you can just hook in a lot of people. But the, the older route would be going the uh, like the Bosch series route. Right, where you just kind of take like a novelized TV approach, where every season is like a, a different uh, focus of a certain adventure, a different part of the world. Yeah, I say I would almost like to see it done that way. Uh, you know, kind of a, the stories told in a in a long form uh, with the character, because you know, I, it, it, let's be honest, I think the the character became more interesting when his dad was introduced, and you got more of a personal. Uh, story behind, um, yeah, behind the Indiana Jones character. So, well, you want to go young Indiana Jones like they did before? You go prime prime time in Indiana. Um, yeah, I think. Um, for me, I think you go young Indiana Jones. I think it's a story like they did before. Okay, so they had the TV series Young Indiana Jones from 1992 to 1993, two yeah. seasons, 28 episodes, and uh, Harrison Ford made an appearance as Indiana Jones at age 50. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, he had like a beard and like a. Salt, kind of salt and pepper beard in it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think but, we made a point as kids to check that out. Yeah, we know we did, and I read a lot of the novels as well. Um, they eventually when it they, was like the Amer- it was like a modern day Hardy Boys. Yeah, they made they ended up making four TV films after the, the, the after the the series got canceled. So um, I just don't think it was done the right way. TV's a lot better now. Um, it was done like on ABC or something like that. So yeah, ABC. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so I think it was more geared towards like a family side of it which you know with indie there's there's a there's not necessarily a darkness to it but i mean it does deal with like nazis and things like that i mean there is uh there are it's pg-13 it's not a family show i mean they Um, could bring it up to the cold war you could change it from nazis to the russians well i'm saying i think that there's a rich uh ground of making uh indiana jones stories uh with a younger indiana jones uh, mm-hmm. in, 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 in a television format, uh, but like a TV format where it's like a 10 episode season. Would you have my question though? Would you keep them in the world war two era? Or do you think maybe moving them up to the cold war era might be good to, for a different, a different spin? Um, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure. I, a lot I, of his gear, you know, then you'd have to change a lot of what he wears probably. Now you keep the hat, you keep the jacket, the whip, it's still indie. He just has to have the hat and the whip and the jacket. Those are the yeah. three things that make him indie. Yeah, I think you can. I think you can modernize so it to a, a different a different yeah. era uh, without. I mean, you, you got to do something different. You can't keep rehashing the same. That's thing. what I was thinking. Maybe yeah. make a Cold War, or even I mean, if you really want to go crazy, the War on Terrorism. But no way. Like they I did mean, with no, Iron Man. They did no, that with Iron no, Man. No, no. I think you're going too far with there. I mean, yeah, maybe. Could, yeah, yeah. You got to kind of got to keep it of a yesteryear quality. I mean, so you want you want to have it based in archaeology. That's what he's doing. Sure. So, I mean, you want to give him a re. No, so, they're I mean, still finding shit though. I mean, you could really do it anywhere, anytime. Yeah, I mean, I, so I think yeah, you got you got to mix it up in, in that sense. Um, you know, you could have him go to you know uh, other countries like somewhere more like uh, far eastern or, mm. or something like that. Um, that would that would that would change it up, or it worked for Last Crusade, kind of tonally keeping the beats. I, I, yeah, that's why I think after Last Crusade, you kind of have to just move it to a different place, different time, and yeah. But I, I just, do think it's like there is a some a supernatural quality too, but you can't go aliens like they did. You got to keep. It I would like, keep it in really grounded artifacts, but even or, or but religious ones like. Uh, 
I mean, that seems to be the bread and butter for Indy, though. So it's got to be intriguing. So I would, I would, yeah, yeah I, I, they have to have that level of intrigue. Um, it just adds this lore uh, that a lot of other things won't. I, I, so I think it's rich to do it, but I, I don't think that, uh, and they could prove me wrong. I hope they do, but I think you got to do eh, it. I think you go Bond franchise. Yeah, I think you, you, you keep Harrison Ford on in some capacity. You got to hand off, you got you to pass mm, the baton. Keep on as executive producer, dude. It's over. Man, look, you're great. He's getting his residuals. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, you, but you got to pass the baton, which they try to do with Shia LaBeouf, but of course that was a working out. But, yeah, you yeah. know, so I, I think they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. Uh, they had a bunch of novels, as we talked about. Movie novelizations, which I wish they still... Not enough of those are written anymore, if they write them at all, other than Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Great book. Um, and a free plug. And uh, a bunch of comics. 22 video games. I played one of them, man. It was like an 07 or 08. It was fucking excellent. It was third person an Indiana Jones game. It was great, man. I beat the shit out of it. I don't remember the which one it was but it was awesome uh, yeah, a bunch of toys games, yeah. yeah toys theme park attractions and a pinball machine of course <laughs> i've played like the pinball machine I have, yeah. I have played it uh, uh and it's it, i mean it's a pinball machine but i have uh, played uh, it. Cool. you play the pinball machine so we talk about finding the holy grail the actual holy grail cup in this movie today is at the hollywood museum in hollywood california right off hollywood boulevard I have been there. I've seen the cup. I've got pictures of the cup. I've drank from the cup. <laughs> I didn't get to drink from it. It's behind glass. You can't even touch it, unfortunately. But, I, man, it's still, it, look, it, it looks the same as it did in the movie. That's they awesome. have the They have the book there, too. You can see it all. It's really cool. Oh, the, the Grail Diary? Yeah, the Grail Diary. That's awesome. Wow. Yes, it's That's fucking cool. cool. They, got all, they got all that on display there. It's pretty neat. Uh, spoofs of the film, uh, Sister Act, uh, Mask of Zorro, Dude Where's My Car, Emperor's New Groove, Austin Powers Gold Member, Polar Express, and of course, Family Guy. Oh, hey, I got an idea. Let's have a sing-along. Okay, I'm going to sing the opening chase music from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Feel free to join in. Damn it, Meg, will you stop that? That is so annoying. Oh, that was annoying? What about your stupid, obnoxious humming? Meg, don't talk to your father like that. So, uh, quite a few parodies. Uh, I think Indiana Jones is pretty easy to parody. We even mentioned in the Raiders episode, you know, with the Simpsons. <laughs> hey, the, the, yeah, the, the bear, like Homer being the boulder rolling down the yeah, stairs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's pretty great. I love it. I mean, it's very easy to parody, I think, uh, Indiana Jones. It's so iconic in pop culture and its place there. Yeah, it continues to live on the Let's I hope they, we 
get some, you know, we're getting the fifth movie, but I'd like to see him reinvent the franchise. Maybe even have like they're doing with Disney, have a fucking young indie show and we get some Bond movies. Let's do both of them. This is too, <laughs> I mean, come on, let's get it. Let's, let's get it going. Uh, but, you know, Last Crusade and I, I cemented Indiana Jones legacy in cinema. Raiders was great, but it's more important if the franchise has two really good movies versus just one good, then you're just a one hit wonder. It's oh, a franchise yeah. because of how well, crusade delivery exactly crusade wrapped it up and even though temple look it's it's not my favorite of the three i haven't seen it in a long time my two favorite i mean i think last crusade and raiders are just on a level by themselves but the fact that this franchise has two good movies last crusade did that and it added to as we talked about we we met his dad we saw him as a young a boy scout all of that adds to the uh to the lore, to the story, and to the scale of the Indiana Jones uh, trilogy, and 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 therefore legacy uh, in movie history. It's it, Last Crusade was an important part of that. Yeah, well, I do feel like we're. You know, I agree with you there, but I, I do feel like you know we're, we're 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 being a little unfair to Temple of Doom. There are many out there that would say that that is their favorite Indiana Jones film. <sighs> it, Whatever, it, man. It's not. it's a preference, is what I'm saying. You sure, know, that, that's the thing. But I think when you look at like. The, uh, the franchise and how it was received, you would not have it be considered a franchise that's going on today if it wasn't for Last Look, Crusade. Temple of Doom isn't, like, I give, I'm giving it a hard time. I just don't think it's an Indiana Jones movie, right? Mm. It doesn't have the things that make an Indiana Jones movie. It's like a Bond with no henchmen. It's like okay. a Bond with no gadgets. It's like a bond with no cue. I mean, there's just certain things. It's, it's different. That an Indiana Jones movie you got to have in there. Yeah, well, I mean, it's different. It had, it had different beats than Raiders. It, it, it strived to be a different film, and it is for better or for worse. And Jim Vernier, the Boston Herald, summed it up best when he said, "Quote: It's movie making in its purest, most spectacular form." Unquote. That is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you so much for listening. The Replay Value podcast is hosted by me, Philip Reinerson, and my brother, Warren Paul. Our recasting judge is Bob Thompson. Produced, edited, and directed by Waldo Pickles Productions, and dedicated to our father, who we have to thank for our love of cinema. Please be sure to follow the podcast, and if you like what you hear, take the time to rate, review, and share with a friend. You can visit us on our website, replayvaluepod.com, and follow us on Twitter at replayvaluepod. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Tuesday, and we'll see you then. Bye! This has been a Waldo Pickles production. 